Okay, 2 Kings 4, verse 38. And you pray for me. I'll make it through the message tonight. My allergies have been really bad the last uh, day or so here, and I almost lost my voice this morning here. So pray that my voice holds up through tonight, and I'll be ready for Sunday as well there too. 2 Kings 4, verse 38. And Elisha came again to Gilgal. Underline the word Gilgal, or circle Gilgal. Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land. And the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto his servant, set on the great pot and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out, circle the word one. One went out into the field, and circle the word field. One went out to the field to gather herbs. And he found a wild vine. And he gathered thereof wild gourds his lap full. He came and he shred them into the pot of pottage, for they knew them not. So they poured off for the men to eat. And it came to pass as they were eating of the pottage that they cried out and they said, O thou man of God, there's death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. But he, that is Elisha, said, Then bring meal. And he cast it into the pot. And he said, Pour out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. Tonight I want to preach a message entitled Death in the Pot or Poison Control. If you've ever had food poisoning, you know how important it is to get poison control real fast. Amen. And tonight we're going to see what happens when you get poisoning and what to do with that poisoning in your life. Father, we ask this evening that you bless your word and thank you for your people who faithfully assembled here. Many are watching more by live stream tonight and we just ask God you give us enlightenment, instruction, and help. And as all this correlates with other passages of Scripture, strengthen our faith tonight. Help us to know what we believe and why we believe tonight. And to stand firm upon the precepts and principles of the Word. And tonight we pray that you help any of us this evening, perhaps who've been, been perhaps have gone like this one man out into the field and have gathered, gathered some wild gourds. We pray you'll help us in dealing with the issues associated with that. And of course tonight I just pray you keep our church doctrinally pure and Keep our church morally pure and keep our church, your God, just pure before God and holy. The Bible says we're to follow holiness without which no man shall see God. And so tonight we pray for that because that's glorifying to you. And we pray this evening that you'd work in our hearts in a mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Have you ever been a victim of food poisoning? I'm sure everybody has at least once. If you know, if you have, you know how terrible and sickening it can be. It's an experience you never forget. Uh, food poison occurs when food that has not been well prepared, has been left out too long, or spoiled, has been ingested and eaten. Food poison results in terrible digestive sickness. It gets you in a terrible way. And it leaves you severely ill, weakened, dehydrated, and just wondering, why did I get this sick? In some cases, if it's not dealt with well, food poisoning can lead to death. Once you have it, you don't ever want to get it again. Amen? I mean, that's just something you don't want to have happen there. It's experience never to be forgotten, not anxious to be repeated. Notice tonight we read here in verse 39, this unsuspecting character and 99 other men partook of this gourd. It's kind of orange shape. They called it a cucumber back in their days. And it had these seeds that were used as a, um, you know, we get our word gall in the Bible from this plant that was used. And uh, he shred this thing as soon as he opened it, it burst open. He put the seeds in there and he thought, well, this will spice it up, you know. And he thought this would add some flavor to it. And he had never really tried it before, but he probably smelled it. He said, well, it's got kind of an acrid smell. Maybe it will help us there. And the Bible says they poured out for these hungry sons of the prophets to eat. 
Now, I, I know if you have teenagers, that can be a that can be a it can be a frightening thing when they get hungry. Amen. If you got teenagers, amen. But uh, can you imagine a hundred Bible college men who are hungry and have only had one meal a week and they're hungry and they want to eat and they'll eat anything. I mean, literally anything there. If you don't believe me, just go down to college days at one of these Bible colleges. You'll learn that they eat anything. Amen. And uh, so these men, they pour it out and nobody smells anything. Nobody suspects anything. Nobody's questioned what went in that pot. It started as a Sunini. The first thing out of their mouth is they look at Elisha. They said, oh, thou man of God, there's death in the pot. They started to feel the effects of food poisoning. Now, tonight, we're not getting into the science of food poisoning physically. You need to see your doctor about that. Amen. But we are going to see we are going to look at the, the matter of a spiritual food poisoning. What happens when you get spiritual food poisoning and how do we deal with that? And I hope you'll listen very well, because maybe perchance someone that you are ministering to or somebody, you know, might be exposed to some things we'll talk about tonight. And it's very important, you know, the symptoms, and you know, the cure and what to do with this. So we're going to look at the subject tonight. Notice, first of all, tonight in verse 38, we see a food crisis. The start of this passage deals with a food crisis. There's still a famine in the land. The Bible tells us that Elisha came again to Gilgal and there was a dearth in the land. This is the second time we have reference to Elisha and Gilgal. We find Gilgal mentioned about him back in 2 Kings 2. He traveled through Gilgal. As we see here, Gilgal was the location where there were the sons of the prophets. Gilgal received its prominence way back in Joshua chapter 3, I believe, chapter 3 or chapter 4. And it sat in Joshua 3 or 4, it was there that uh, God, God told Joshua that he had to sh- sharpen some knives and the men had to go through a surgical procedure at that time. And while they were there, the Bible gave the name Gilgal, that place, because Gilgal means rolled away. And it became a very significant play- place because God told Joshua, he says, he said, this, I'm naming this place Gilgal because the reproach of Egypt has been rolled away. And Gilgal has a, has a good name. Gilgal has the idea that God has rolled away something in our lives there. And we saw Gilgal being significant as a place where a stopping point where Elijah turned to Elisha and he says, well, you stay here and I'm going to keep going. And Elisha said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to stay with you there. Now we notice here in verse 38 that he's at Gilgal again. And Gilgal would be another place of great spiritual significance. You want to write that down tonight. It's a place of great spiritual significance. But notice here in verse 38, there was a dearth in the land. A dearth occurred because the heavens been shut up. There was no rain idolatrous worship had not gone away. The king of Israel was still leading the people down into idolatrous worship. The two centers of worship in Israel, at Dan and Bethel, they were still uh, worshiping golden calves there. So idol worship had not gone away. This continued to anger God, and they were going against what God's word said in Deuteronomy chapters 11 and 12. And so because of that, God shut up the heavens, and there was no rain. Uh, it's kind of like right now, we need some rain in California. I don't know, there's some correlation. Every time we do a building program, there's no rain, amen? And I didn't even ask the church not to pray for no rain this time. But last time we did, we had no rain. And, and you know what it's like, when there's no rain, that can be pretty scary, because if the long duration of time there's no rain it affects your ground affects your ability to have crops and crops don't grow healthy you don't have good crops you don't have no rain you're gonna have a food shortage you have a food shortage you got a food crisis you have a food crisis now you're in a famine you're in a famine you're in an economic crisis i mean it's a it's a domino effect it's a very 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 bad situation and a dearth meant here that they had a shortage of all kind Listen, when, when a food crisis comes, here's what happens. A food crisis tests you as to whether or not you will be desperate or you'll be dependent. When a food crisis comes, it tests whether you'll be fretful or whether you'll be faithful. A food crisis tests whether you'll be restless or resilient. 
Notice the Bible says there is a dearth of the lamb and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. I think foremost in these men's minds as Elisha was standing there and lecturing them and teaching them the word of God and teaching them hermeneutics, how to understand the word of God and teaching them homiletics, how to preach the word of God and teach them doctrine. I think foremost of that, he heard a he heard hundred growling stomachs at one time. Amen. And he heard these hungry sons of the prophets, their stomachs are growling and they're going off there. And finally, he's looking in their eyes and he knows he can read in their eyes. They're all wondering, well, we're great. This is great theological training, Elisha. And we're getting good training to be sons of prophets. But we want to know one thing. How are we going to get some food? We're hungry. Amen. We need to get some food here. It's been a long time since we've eaten there. And they felt it. Everybody felt it. Listen, when a famine comes, that doesn't mean that you will not be affected. Famines can affect all of us one way or the other. The prophet Amos said there was a famine of the word of God. Now, tonight, as we look at our message tonight, I wonder as we begin, I wonder if any of us tonight are going through a famine in our soul. Has it been a long time since the reign of revival saturated your soul and irrigated your heart? I wonder tonight if it's been a long time since since you've experienced revival in your heart. I wonder tonight, just like when a dearth comes and when there's no rain, the land becomes, the soil becomes hardened. And it becomes clay-like. And I wonder if tonight, if it's been so long since the rains of revival have touched our heart, if the soil of our heart has become hardened and it's become wayside soil and there's been no growth. I'm not saying it has. I'm just asking the question tonight. Has it been a long time since then? We see a food crisis. Let me tell you tonight, the food crisis is not God, is not because of God. The food crisis might be because we have not allowed ourselves to be, let the rains of revival touch our heart every now and then. We see a food crisis tonight. Notice secondly, as we look at verses 38 39, notice we see a faith command. Notice as the sons of prophets are sitting before him, and Elisha saw the look on their faces. And he could tell by the message being signaled their eyes, they were looking for something to happen. And Elisha went there. He knew there was a, there was a crisis going on. He knew there was a famine dearth going on there. And I think he went there more than for just training there as he made his round through all the schools of prophets. I think he went there specifically to teach these men some things they needed to learn. And we find that there was a, there would be a faith command. Notice the statement he sets here. He says, he set on the great pot and seeth pottage for the sons of the prophets. Now imagine with me the picture here. Here's this prophet of God, the seasoned prophet of God, who spent 10 years with Elijah, and now is probably <coughs> maybe two or three years into training, preaching maybe a few years beyond that. And he's standing before these men that he's trained, and he's before, and he could tell that, there, that there's a need there. And he tells one of them, you know, there's a big fireplace out there. And he says, well, I want you to get some big pots, a pot they probably have cooked porridge and stew and soup and things like that before. And he says, get this big pot, and put the pot on there, and he says, boil some water. You can bear in mind now, where there's a famine, and there's a dirt, there's also water shortage. But they're to find this water, and I don't know if they gave up all the water supplies, scripture doesn't tell us. <laughs> but they go there, and they boil the water, and he says, seethe pottage. He says, get the water boiling very hot, we're gonna add something to it, we're gonna, we're gonna build, we're gonna make something thick enough that you can eat. And probably, the word pottage may have had the idea of perhaps a barley soup, or maybe a lentil soup, something of that nature out of one of the stables they had, and I think of person from myself, I think it was probably barley or lentils that they probably had there. But regardless of what it was, they expected to have something that was being filling and something that was warm. And so, you know, instead of just getting off and telling them a lot of things, he issues a faith command. He wasn't going to sit on the great pot. They were to set the great pot. You see, tonight, whenever there is a food crisis, whenever there's a difficult time, those are moments we must be very sensitive and to listen to God for a faith command. You see, a vital part of ministry is for us to learn how to exercise faith in God. 
And the greatest time of the, for us to learn how to exercise faith is not when we have an abundance. The greatest time to learn faith is when we have nothing. When, when the resources are, are, are depleted. When we have more need than there are resources. And I'm going to tell you tonight, you and I will not serve well unless we have faith. And you and I will not pray well if we don't have faith. You and I won't grow much if we don't have faith. He issues this faith command. Sit on the great pot. Put the large pot on the fire. And the, boi- and the water will start boiling. He said, we've got to exercise some faith right now. He gives them a faith command. And so this would involve numbers of them to get this pot. Maybe at least two, maybe four. They would carry this great pot. Remember, it's got to serve a hundred men. They'd set the fire and they pour the water in. And others would get the water they pour it in. And they were to start boiling. He gave them a faith command. God issues faith commands. The Bible's filled with faith commands. For instance, Moses, when they faced the Red Sea, they looked like it was impassable. He issued the faith command, go forward. For instance, Gideon faced an army of 100,000 Midianites. And God took his army of 10,000 men. And he brought it down to 300. And as he did so, I can imagine Gideon, who was already insecure in his personality. He, I can imagine him thinking, Lord, what do you have in mind there? But he told him this, go in this thy might, thou mighty man of valor. He says, you're going to go and do what I want you to do. The widow Winema Zarephath was down to a handful of meal and a little cruise of oil, just a little cup of oil. And Elijah made, made, issued a command. He said, make me a cake first and afterwards make for thyself. The king of Israel, Judah and Edom were together. Remember that just a few weeks ago? We looked at that and they, had, they were in the valley. There was no water, but God commanded them, go dig and make ditches in the valley. We go over the New Testament. And the disciples have gone with Jesus to another side of, the, of Galilee. They took on a ship, <coughs> went on the other side there. And as they were on that side, they, uh, they, it was nighttime, nighttime was coming, and, uh, Jesus said, well, you know, let, give, give the people bread to eat. And they said, well, let's send them away, Lord. He says, nighttime is too far for them to travel. He says, no, give them to eat. And Jesus said, I want you to feed them, give you to them eat. Now, you notice all these situations, and every situation that we talked about where these faith commands happen, there was the resources in comparison to the command uh, or the, uh, the command there was, was challenged them to exercise faith. And by the way, Jesus did the same thing when it comes to the Great Commission. The Great Commission tells us to go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the, name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Ghost. I remind you tonight that there's more nations that are in need of the gospel than there are witnesses going out to reach them. There's more nations that need the gospel, that the gospel right now. And churches like Heritage Baptist Church plant in their midst than we have, than we have the resources to get them set up. But we're to obey the command of God. You see, faith commands always come when these, when, when our resources are low. And faith commands always come when the, when the, when the demand exceeds the supply. But yes, there's a shortage, but we must have faith in God. Amen. And wherever there's a shortage, we must just realize we must trust God. Yes, the command sounds incredible, but God specializes in the incredible. Yes, the command is asking to do something we do not have enough resources for, but our God is more than able. I remind of the building we're putting up right now, the size of this building, the amount of the debt, it's more than what we have on hand. But we must go forward in faith. We must go forward in faith to believe God that we're going to get the building paid off. We must go forward in faith to believe God that we're going to get the building filled out many times over. Amen? We must believe God that we're going to fill up the church and the services and see people saved and lives being changed for His glory there. There's a faith command. I wonder tonight if we could just think for a moment, what are the faith commands that God's been giving us? And what are the faith commands God wants you and me to obey? Elisha was showing them that he believed God would meet their need in spite of a famine. He said to them, sit on the great pot and seize pottage for the sons of the prophets. He didn't get into a long uh, uh, discussion with them about how to do faith. And that's what we do a lot of times. You know, we want to reason. We want to rationalize. You know, we want to, we want, we, we, we have a theory and then a proof and so forth like that. 
And we want to find some way of trying to find out whether it works or not. And I'll, I'll tell you, a lot of things sometimes God tells us to do. There is no explanation. And by the way, if we can explain it, faith is not in it. Amen. And if we can explain it, God's not in it. And we must realize there's just sometimes we get into situations. We have to be able to trust God individually and trust God as a church that God's going to meet your need and mine. When it's a pressing need, it's time to exercise faith. When our resources are exhausted, it's time to exercise faith. Listen to me, beloved. Our, our country for the last several years, we've been going through good times. A lot of you have experienced good times. Some of you, your portfolios have done very well. Some of you have gotten increases. Some of you have started businesses. Some of you <laughs> have seen God bless you. But I want to tell you, when, when things change, and they will, because everything's cyclical. When things change, and they will. When lean times come, when the dollar gets tight, when things go upside down, will you still trust God? Will you listen to the faith commands? Will you obey the Lord? We still be faithful to the church. We still honor God. We still tithe. We still pray. You still read your Bible. We still be faithful to God. I'm saying tonight, we must listen and heed the faith commands. He said, put on the great pot and seed pottage for the sons of the prophets. We see the faith command. But notice the third thing tonight. Notice verse 39. In verse 38, we saw the food crisis. In verse 38, we see a faith command. But notice verse 39, we see a twist of events. We see a faulty collection. Notice in this one verse, there's a great volume of information here. First of all, notice one went out into the field to gather herbs. Now one went out. Circle that. One went out. All the command said, set on the great pot and seize pottage. But one went out. One went out farther than the others. Do you hear what I said? One went out farther than the others. One went out to the field. The field is always a picture of the world. Jesus said that. The field's the world. And one went out to gather herbs. He thought he would find some some herbs to spice things up. You know, barley. You, you know, if you ever make barley, you put a piece of pork in it. Amen. You get something to make it a little salty. Amen. Unless you, you're in a low salt diet. You know, I mean, there's some things you just have. You put some things to kind of spice it up and give it a little bit of taste. There, OK. And uh, this man was thinking the same thing. And uh, this one man goes out. And I remind, remind you tonight, it only takes one man, one woman, one dissenter to bring chaos and contamination. One went out to gather herbs. Corruption, contamination will always come when you bring the world inside. You bring the world inside the church, and I promise you, you'll, 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 you'll bring contamination. When I got saved, when I got saved back in 1971, we'll watch it too long ago, might be for those of you younger. When I got saved in 1971, I didn't understand all the dynamics about the, the Christian's enemies being the world, the flesh, and the devil. I wrote that down. I said, man, that's real. I didn't know I had three enemies, amen? I, I thought I had, I thought all I had was friends, and then I really had three enemies, amen? The world, the flesh, and the devil. And I started to understand, tried to understand. It took me a long time to grasp the understanding of the world until I was taken through discipleship and went through First John chapter 2 and James chapter 4 and other verses like that. And, to understanding the concept of the world there and so forth like that. And the Bible tells us very simply that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And the Bible tells us love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is of the world and not of God. And the Bible tells us for the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And you know, you just read about the world. The world is the enemy of God. The world's system, the world's direction, the world's philosophy, the world's direction. 
direction. Everything about the world is going opposite of God. It's not going the same way of God. The world looks for the majority opinion, not the minority opinion. It doesn't care what God says there. And so this one man goes out in the world and he does that. Well, when I first got saved, you know what the church was trying to do back in those days? The church did everything it could to make sure that, that you know, we were trying to do everything we can to keep the world out of the church. You know what's going on now? The world's coming into the church. We find the world permeating the church. The world's permeating the church with its opinions. The world's permeating the church in terms of how it runs the church. The world is now permeating the church in terms of how, how, to, how to do outreach and a number of these things like that. And we look at that and we wonder, is it a church or is it a business? Is it a faith work or is it a business work? What is it there? And you notice this one man went out into the field to gather herbs. Notice something else here. You want to underline this. The Bible says he found a wild vine. Now circle the word wild vine, those words. And he gathered the wild gourds thereof into his lap full. Now I want you to understand, look at me here for a minute. This man had a long flowing garment like most men. And he didn't bring a bag with him. He just thought being a handful. And he saw this wild vine. And this vine had all these little gourds, probably about the size of an orange. They called them cucumbers back in their time. They were equivalent to the cucumbers. And the Bible says he took his garment and says a lap full. In other words, he put a garment full. So I imagine he just probably pulled up his garment and he gathers. He probably held one hand. He filled up as many as he could. got very heavy. And it says he filled a lap full. And the word lap literally means as you look at the Bible, it's basically translated the word garment. It's just he filled his garment full of that. However, however, there's two places where that same word for lap also is translated treachery or treacherous. And it's kind of interesting. He filled his lap. Or he filled his garment with treachery or treacherousness. Now, he had no idea of it. And if he did, he didn't tell anybody. So he fills his lap out. No, no. He fills his garment with this thing. Look at it again. One went onto the field to gather herbs. And he found a wild vine and gathered thereof wild gourds his lap full. So imagine if I took off my jacket and I took my jacket and I, Brother Irwin, if I put it down and filled it up with all these these wild gourds, and I'd fill it up and I'd carry it back. I mean, this guy, he probably brought several pounds back of these wild gourds. And as we read the scripture, he put all those gourds inside that pot there. I mean, he put all of the seeds inside there. This man brought a lap full of it. Now, listen to me tonight. He didn't check it out before he brought it bunched back. He didn't check out, is it safe? He didn't check out whether it was edible. He didn't check out whether 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 what there could be food allergies. Hey man, you know he didn't check any of this thing out. It looked harmless. It looked edible. It looked like it would spice things up. And then notice what happens here in verse thirty nine. He takes a lap full, and the Bible says he came, and people are watching him. And, you know, he shreds them. The Bible says he shreds them. Literally what happens, these these gourds, you could just touch them and they would burst apart. You ever have a fruit like that? I mean, or a vegetable where you could just touch it and it burst apart. He touched it and it burst around. All the seeds went into it. So he did that gourd after gourd after gourd. And he says he shreds them into the pot of pottage for they knew them not. And it's kind of interesting. He peeled it back and nobody asked any questions about it. And this, this cucumber, as we know from, 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 um, from just this, the species study, they, they, they said it was a species called Citrillus Colonsynthus, and it was a vine with yellow flowers that, like I said, looked like an orange. And uh, but they, it was considered a wild cucumber that would burst open if it was touched, touched very hard. And and uh, it was known for being infamous for being bitter and poisonous if you knew what it was. And people who knew what it was, they used it for purgative and medicinal purposes. In other words, they used it to maybe you had a stomach problem. They used it to clear out your, your digestive system. It was used as a cleansing agent for those who, who who understood it. And we read later on where the word gall is used in the Bible. It's the same idea of the gall that we find in the Bible. It's bitter, very bitter tasting. 
and uh, it would have a just, you know, it would have this medicinal effect on your body there if, if you weren't careful how much you took of that. And it's kind of like eating the kukui nut in Hawaii. You ever go to Hawaii? You eat a kukui nut, okay? Kukui nut is a natural laxative that they use. Over, you just eat one kukui nut and you're in trouble for the rest of your day, Matt. You know, you're just in trouble there. And, uh, and it was like that. That was the kind of thing it was. And so this man takes a lapful and he puts it in there. But notice something else in verse 39. Notice the last part of verse 39. This man makes a faulty collection. He thinks it's healthy. He thinks it's edible. He thinks it'll spice things up. He thinks it'll make the pot better. The Bible says after he did that, notice it made this statement, for they knew them not. Nobody questioned it. Nobody suspected what was wrong with this. I mean, these are sons of prophets. They're not farmers. They don't go in the wild. These guys didn't go into the wild, the wild vines and pick off the gourds. And remind you tonight in Galatians 2, 4, and that because of false brethren, unawares brought in. Nobody knew. They were unaware of it. And that because of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily to spout our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Jude, verse chapter 1, verse 4, for there are certain men crept in unawares. We were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be familiar with Jude 4. You need to be familiar with the fact that there are certain men that he talks about here that crept in unawares. False teachers, false doctrine crept in unawares. They know not. People are unsuspecting. They wouldn't suspect anything like that would happen. It looks harmless. It looks like it's okay. It looks like it's something that we can receive. And I wonder tonight some questions I want to ask you this evening. What field are you in? What field were you in the last weeks, the last few weeks, and you brought wild gourds into the pottage? I wonder tonight, what wild gourds could anyone be picking from? I wonder tonight, where are you getting your theology and where are you getting your doctrine? I wonder tonight if you're getting, you're taking down notes when the Bible is being preached or whether or not you're trying to find something to contradict that from the Internet. I wonder tonight if you're more in tune with an Internet preacher because you like what he has to say versus what thus saith the Lord says. I wonder tonight what kind of fire are you making on the altar? I wonder tonight where are you getting your outreach ideas? I wonder tonight where are you getting your parenting philosophy? I wonder tonight where are you getting your music ideas from? Getting kind of close to home, isn't it? Where are you putting, what are you putting into the pottage and feeding the congregation when I'm not here? I'm asking tonight, one went out into the field and he gathered his lap full. And he brought it back and he shredded it into the pottage there. He put it in and they knew not. Certain men, certain theologies, certain ideas, they creep in unawares. And notice verse 40, we see a fatal contamination. This pot's been boiling. Not sure what else they put in there, but it's been boiling. Certainly there must have been some kind of aroma that came off. Sons of prophets are hungry. They're thanking God there's food to eat. They're thanking God they had faith enough to set on the great pot and to put enough, they use up their water and trust God for tomorrow's water supply. And uh, you have to bear in mind what they were sitting on the pot would only be enough for that day's meal. They're just trusting God one day at a time. Hey, you know what? Sometimes we worry too far into the future. You got to let God work one day at a time. Amen. They're worried about that. And so the, the, they watch this man put this, these, these seeds in the pottage. And the Bible says in verse 40, so they poured out for the men to eat. And it came to pass as they were eating of the pottage. They cried out and said, O thou man of God, there's death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. We see a fatal contamination. 
This man pours out these seeds. They pour out perhaps enough for maybe one cup full for every man to eat. And by the way, as we know from a previous study, there were a hundred of these sons of prophets plus Elisha, plus other men. I'm of the belief and opinion Elisha did not eat because I think God had already told him what was going to happen there because he's trying to teach them faith, but he's also teaching them discernment. And so he's watching this. The pottage has been poured out. It's hot. They start eating of it. And they start realizing there's something not right with this taste. And I here's what I imagine in my mind. I imagine some of them, as soon as they ingest it, they started getting sick. They started feeling this terrible pain in their stomach. They started to turn ashen white. They started to change color. They started, their stomach started turning in knots. And, it, and, thing, and things start to happen. And guys were getting sick and running out into the bushes there because they were getting sick there. And things were happening. Finally, someone cried out, Oh, man of God, there's death in the pot. Oh, man of God, there's death in the pot. And all of them recognize, they recognize, wait a minute, we sit on the great pot. How did we get death in the pot? How did we get this poison in the pot? They got poison inside that pot. How did it get there? Because one man put that poison in there. Everyone got severe food poisoning. Everyone ate of that pottage. Something bad was in that pottage. All the symptoms of food poisoning and worse were inside that pottage. Listen tonight, listen tonight. It only takes one bad apple to ruin a crop. It only takes a little leaven to make the whole lump leaven. It only takes one scorner for contentions to rise. That's why Solomon said, cast out the scorner and contention shall cease. It only takes one person to adversely affect your faith. Hey, who's putting wild gourds into your pottage? It only takes one false teacher to enter church and speak twisted, corrupt things to draw away disciples among the Hey, listen to me, members, listen to me tonight. We're at a church size level right now. People come in from all walks of faith. They come in with all kinds of ideas. And they'll say, I'm pastor so-and-so. I'm reverend so-and-so. And I've been to this place and that place. And they'll come across and they'll want it. They'll just come along till you invite them over to their home, to your home for a meal. And they'll sit down and they'll want to take something I said and start twisting it around and say, would well, you ever think this is not right? By the way, if it wasn't right, I wouldn't preach it. And so I'll tell you, it's not right. And they'll start twisting in and get off of some other doctrine. Most likely it's going to be Calvinism is one of those doctrines there. And uh, something else like that. And they'll still want to impress you that they went to this seminary or cemetery. And they went over to this place and that place there. And they'll want to impress you they went to this place and that place. And tell you all those things. Hey listen, your, your spiritual radar ought to go up. And know there's something wrong with that situation. If that person is so good, why isn't Pastor Fong letting them teach from the pulpit? And if you hear that kind of stuff going on, and someone's standing in the corner over there saying, well, wait a minute, I just read what John MacArthur's commentary said. John MacArthur's commentary is not the Bible, the Word of God. God did not write His Word to be so complicated you could not understand what His Word is all about. We had a man who used to come to our church years ago, and we we, we get in these discussions, and I said, well, let's, you know, I want to have faith in people. And I said, well, let me let me put you through a teacher's training, and Brother Long was teaching, teacher's training, and, and, and the guy would come back in, Brother Long, Brother Long brought this passage up here, and I said, well, how did, and he was teaching them how to, how to teach them hermeneutics, how to, to study the Word of God and, and under, break it down and understand it. And I said, what did you do? He said, well, yeah, Pastor, that's easy, I read that, I didn't understand it. So I went to my favorite commentator over here and started reading the commentator. He showed me the commentator, and I closed the book, I said, let's read what God's Word says, not what the commentator says. You students, they'll get off in Bible studies there. They'll tell you they want to be part of a small group. Let me tell you why churches go to small groups. They go to small groups because they didn't make their Sunday school grow. They don't have Sunday school. They don't have a Sunday night service, which you need to tell people, well, why do you have two services? Because we want to feed you twice in a day. You don't eat once a day. Amen. 
We have featured twice a day, two different messages. We labor over the word of God to feature the word of God. And when I'm not here, I'll have a rotation of men. They, they get in the word, they feature the word of God. Amen. They get in the word and feed you and you get, they don't have Sunday morning. They don't, they have Sunday morning only and on Sunday night, they have Wednesday night. And so they want to have meat, meat. They say, well, pastor, we're too big. We need more small. What they're really saying is they don't want to be under anyone's authority. What they're really saying is that they want to exchange their ideas. They want to give their comment about the Bible, but they don't want to let the Bible give a comment about them. It's all you got to do is you have somebody that's a negotiator, it's very persuasive, and they give their idea about the theology, the scriptures there. And listen, it isn't long. If you don't know your Bible, and you haven't been listening to the messages, and you're not plugged into Sunday school, and you're not listening to the Word of God, guess what? You're going to listen to that person. That's what the Bible's talking about, Galatians 2.4 and Jude 1.4. For certain men and false teachers crept in unawares, and that's not in their underwear. That means in unawares, amen? They got you unsuspecting to believe that stuff there. And by the way, it doesn't have to be doctrine. It could be philosophy ministry. It could be about something the church is doing that they don't agree with, so they'll subtly work you. Look, at you ought to be careful. Somebody pulls you in the corner there and says, by the way, you know, do you ever notice there's something wrong here? Well, if there's something wrong, you know what you should do as a good member? You know what you should do as a good member? You say, well, if that's true, let's go see pastor and go talk to pastor about that. Yeah. Amen. Yes, Get a little, little hot around the collar, huh? Because some are not doing that. Yeah. Only takes one scorner to ruin a teenage youth group or college fellowship. Only takes one false teacher to enter a church like this that for 19 years, Blood, sweat, and tears of sacrifice has tried to promote the work of God for God's glory and support missions and to get the gospel out there and try to reach people and win your parents to Christ. It takes one false teacher to come in and ruin the whole church. It only takes one diatrophies to come in and try to use his or her personality to usurp the preeminence in the church. And by the way, every church has a diatrophies. It's just a matter of time when they try to find their opportunity to rise themselves up and take control of the situation. Only takes one disgruntled church member to ruin a happy serving member. One man puts some bad seeds in the pot. Listen, bad doctrine is poison. There's no such thing as, well, it's, you know, there's an opinion here. Listen, there's either good doctrine or bad doctrine. The Bible, the Bible is, does not leave you in confusion. God doesn't give you, God, God, God is not divided in two opinions, either one or the other there. Bad doctrine is poison. Bad music is poison. By the way, a bad attitude is poison. By the way, gossip is poison. By the way, help all of us tonight. Did you know the untamed tongue is poison? James chapter 3. It's full of deadly poison. Being opinionated is poison. Worldliness is poison. Bitterness is poison. It defiles many. Hatred is poison. Envy is poison. Rebellion is poison. Bad friendships is poison. Evil communications corrupt good manners, the Bible says. Calvinism is poison. Unbelief is poison. If you don't believe, like, 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 like Caleb said, we are well able. Listen, you're unbe- listen, the unbelief of those ten spies poisoned the everybody else and poisoned the entire congregation in less than ten minutes. And listen, it left them stuck for forty years in the wilderness. A stingy spirit is poison. Listen, truth ceases to be truth when it's mixed with error. There was death in the pot. Poison causes sickness. Poison takes the good out of you. Food poison will affect everyone who eats out of that pot. Who puts seeds in your thoughts to poison you? 
Stories told about J. Wilbur Chapman, about he was a pastor friend of his from Australia. Very strong preacher. Preached very strongly about sin and against sin. And by the way, we should preach against sin. Some of the laymen were a little bit more sophisticated. They get hot around the collar, a little bit uncomfortable with that, that kind of preaching. They came up to this preacher and said, Dr. Howard, we don't want you to talk as open as you do about man's guilt and corruption. Because if you do, our boys and girls hearing you discuss the subject will be more easy to become sinners. They had this idea that if you preach against it or preach about it, that will entice them to, to, to move towards that. And the preacher listened to them. They, they basically said, listen, don't call it sin. Call it a mistake. Listen, sin and mistake are two different things. Sin is sin, according to the Bible. And he said, just don't, don't call it a mistake. And so the preacher looked down and he noticed on his desk he had just been, he had just been putting some poison out to, to kill some ants. And he looked down at his desk and he had a bottle of ant poison there. And underneath, where it had the name of it, it said poison underneath. And you know, I had the skull and the crosses like this. And he says, do you know, man, what you're asking me to do? And that man says, yeah. He says, you know what you're telling me to do? You're telling me to take this bottle of poison and cross out the word poison and put peppermint instead on there. And to let people think this is peppermint and that, that if I call it peppermint, it, it'll be okay there. But you don't understand. You can change your name, but you won't change the effects. We have to understand something tonight. That there was poison in the pot here. And they had the effect of putting out an entire school of prophets. And it had the effect of taking a whole 100 men and poisoning their minds and their souls. And making them ineffective for the gospel ministry. Listen tonight as we consider all this. We must think about the fact that the man said this. He said the milder you make your label the more dangerous you make your poison. So we see a fatal contamination. It was a very bad situation in verse 40. He said, oh, thou man of God, there's death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. They were in a worse situation than when they were starving. But notice as we close tonight, notice the faithful cure. This didn't phase Elisha. There's one cure. There's one remedy. Amen. He said, then bring meal. Meal was flour that was ground up. Flour and meal are a picture of the bread of life, Jesus Christ. Amen. He said, bring the meal. Bring me a handful of meal. He put it in the pot. And he said, pour out for the people that they may eat. They watched him put the meal in there. They saw there were a lot more, there was a lot more junk than went in, a lot more seeds went in there. The pot was contaminated. Anybody who drink that, they get severe sickness. He puts the meal in there. He says, now pour it out. Now remember, he's still teaching about faith here, right? He says, put on the great pot and seed pottage. And he's pouring it out there. <clears throat> they pour it out. And as the people began to eat, they, they stepped out by faith because Elisha stepped back in the picture there. And, and he said, pour in meal. And he said, serve them. And they began to eat. And the Bible tells us, verse 41, that there was no harm in the pot. Now here's my thought. And I'm done tonight. How, how do you fix a situation where there's been spiritual food poisoning? How do you fix a situation when there's been poisoning? And the theology's been all mixed up. And the philosophy ministry's been mixed up. And the attitude's been mixed up. How do you deal with that? I'll tell you how you deal with it. Get Jesus back in the situation. Put the meal in the pot. Get Jesus back in the preaching. Get Jesus back in your devotion. Get Jesus back in your attitude. Get Jesus back in your spirit. 
Get Jesus back in your praying. Get Jesus back in your praising. Get Jesus back in your soul winning. Here's the reason why there's poison pot. We took Jesus out. Hey, I suggested tonight if we took Jesus out, let's get Jesus back in tonight. Amen. And by the way, it says he went to a wild vine. There's only one vine you go to. That's Jesus Christ. He's the true vine. They need a poison control. Meal points us to the meat offering that you find in the book of Leviticus. The meal offering is a picture of the deity of Jesus Christ. All holy. All pure. The meal offering was always offered alongside of the burnt offering. The meal offering, the meat offering is always offered with the daily sacrifices. It was a picture of Jesus giving himself for us. You see, you get Jesus back into the picture. Man, everything changes. Listen, darkness becomes light. Discouragement becomes encouragement. Negativism becomes positivism. A bad attitude becomes a good attitude. A non-sowing fervor becomes a sowing fervor. I'm just saying tonight, the, the problem is very simple. We've got to get Jesus back in the situation there. Remember back, back in Exodus chapter 15, the children of Israel were looking for water. They were three days out from the wilderness, uh, from, from crossing the Red Sea and there had been no water. And they didn't have much water supply with them. And they went three days without water. And they came to this pool of water, this oasis. And they tasted it. They said, oh, this is bitter. This is bad. They called it Mara. Mara means bitter. And they started complaining to Moses. Why would you lead us here? You're going to kill us. We have nowhere to go. And Moses fell on his face before God and started praying. And God, when he got off his knees, God said, look over there. And God showed him a tree. Remember that? He says, he says, cut down that tree. He showed him the tree, cut down the tree. He cut down the tree, put the tree in the water. And the bitter water is made sweet. You know what the tree is indicative of or symbolic of? The tree is symbolic of the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm just saying, whenever things are bitter and everything's get bad, all we've got to do is get Jesus back in the situation there. By the way, you say my marriage is falling apart. Get Jesus back in your marriage. You see, my praying is not going anywhere. You get Jesus back in your praying. How do you get revival? You get Jesus back into it. We've got to get Christ into it. As I close tonight, I'm reminded of the story in Numbers chapter 21. Children of Israel rebelled against God. They wouldn't listen to him. Remember, God sent these, these venomous serpents, these poisonous serpents there. Remember that? And everyone that was bitten by those poisonous serpents, they, 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 they were dying. And then finally... God, God told Moses, you know what you need to do is go make a serpent of brass. And he turned to Aaron and said, Aaron, go make the serpent of brass. And as soon as he made the serpent of brass, he made it. And I don't know how long it took him because people were dying along the way. And as soon as he did, he said, lift it up high. And as he lifted up that serpent of brass, he lifted up everyone that looked up to that serpent of brass. The Bible says they were spared from the serpent's bite. And I remind you tonight, in the same token, as they look to that serpent, which is symbolic of Christ dying on the cross for our sins, we've got to get our eyes on Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. Listen, the reason why we, we lose our fervor and the reason why we get so discombobulated about our priorities and everything. We've got to get Jesus back into the situation there. After they got the meal in, there was no more harm in the pot. The pot needed cleansing from corruption. Jesus said, now you are clean through the word what I've spoken unto you. <laughs> Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. 2 Timothy 2, verses 25 to 26 says, In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Tonight I wonder this evening if there have been bad seeds in the pot. And we eaten from a pot where there's been some bad seeds. I wonder tonight if we need to get the meal into the pot. Get Jesus back into the right place, <coughs> the right priority <coughs> for your life and mine. Our Father, tonight, <coughs> I thank you for this passage of Scripture.
of how these unsuspecting prophets were learning to exercise faith in God. At a time of great teaching and training, and learning from God, <coughs> in the midst of all that, one went out to the field, took these cucumbers, <coughs> cast the seeds into the pot. After it boiled for a long time, they gave it out. And they said, oh, there's death in the pot. They recognized something wasn't right. And Father, tonight, by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, would you help us to do a, a soul diagnosis? If there's poison in the pot, if we've been poisoned by bad words, if we've been poisoned by bitterness, if we've been poisoned in our attitude, poisoned in our theology and our thinking, trying to find a modern day Bible version that's still corrupt. We're trying, Lord, to think that Calvinism can be proved and so I, don't, I can have an excuse not to go soul winning. Or maybe our, our whole doctrine of God is all thwarted and, and messed up. And tonight I pray, Lord, we, we just need more of Jesus in our life tonight. And how simple it was, he just took a, some meal. He said, bring me some meal and he put the meal in the pot. God, help us as a church, we'd stay strong on exalting Christ. He said, his, he said in your word that if I be lifted up, I'll draw men to myself. And that whatever we do, we should do all in the name, of the, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Tonight, you, do, you help us this evening to do the introspection and the soul analysis and soul assessment tonight. God, help us get back our humility. Help us tonight to get back a sensitivity, tenderness of heart. And get back that sincere desire of desiring the pure milk of the word. God, help us get back a desire of, Lord, getting before our faces before God and begging God for power and help in our lives. Tonight, Lord, as we give the invitation, help us, Lord, make sure, sure the pot's clean. Help us make sure, dear God, that we are sanctified through your truth. Help us make sure tonight that, Lord, that we are clean through the word which you've spoken to us. Help us to be people of the word through our devotions and our walk with God. This evening, Lord, I pray if there's been spiritual food poisoning, help us to deal with it by getting Christ back in the picture. And then thank you tonight for your mercies and goodness tonight, which are new and real and revealed every day. And God, you might be glorified and pleased. Bless, I pray tonight that we'd be holy and sensitive right before you. We ask for this now, Lord, in Jesus' name. As the piano starts playing. Let's stand. If you need to come tonight, join me at the altar tonight. If you need to come. <coughs> It's poison the pot, something in our lives we need to kind of sift out. Something's got in there that's not right. And by the way, it doesn't have to be a bad seed, but it starts with the seed, the bad seed thought. Something we heard on television, it could be a whisper. The untamed tongue, I said earlier, James chapter 3, the untamed tongue, it's full of deadly poison. Let's take some time tonight to get our lives purged out and cleansed. He said, now you're clean through the word which I've spoken to you. Just take some time tonight. Would you let the Lord speak to you this evening? And then tonight, maybe, maybe it's just this this evening that we just need to just get our priorities right, make things right with God. And then tonight, let me encourage you, if you're here this evening, you don't know Christ as your Savior, God loves you. Jesus died for your sins. He wants you to get saved tonight. He wants you to know for sure that you're going to heaven. Eternal life can be yours. You can trust Him tonight. We can show you how to be saved this evening. Poison in the pot. Poison control. Thank God the ending of the story starts out is much better than how it started. Thank God there was meal in the pot and there was no harm in it. Thank God when we just stay in the word, there's no harm in the word. His words are his commandments and his word are not grievous to us. Let's trust him and believe him tonight. Father, this evening we are very thankful tonight for the scriptures and 
Every word of God is pure. And sometimes, Lord, some things we get are a little bit difficult to receive. But we thank you, the Lord, you're good. And we're reminded tonight that you encourage us, Lord, in 2 Timothy 3 to continue the things which we've, which we've learned of and uh, we've heard. And you help us to stay forward and stay, stay, stay forward and straight and always abounding the work of the Lord. Fathers, we prepare for Sunday. Give us a great day for Sunday services. And uh, we pray, Lord, you'd help us to be ready to go and give you some time, Lord, for outreach this coming Saturday and reaching people with the gospel. And, Lord, I pray that you help every spiritual need found in the room tonight and help us in our time of encouragement and discouragement and that you'd encourage us and help us to have a close and holy walk with you. Father, tonight, bless our time of devotion this evening before we rest our heads and go to sleep. We pray your blessing upon us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.